Welcome to Unlimited Parenting, where we discuss all things impacting children with disabilities or special health care needs. I'm your host, Allison, and with me today is Melissa, and we're going to be talking about 504 plans. So let's get into it. Hi. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks for thanks for always being a, a, what, a recurring guest on I our podcast. It. I can put that on my resume. Would you please? I would. I will. Absolutely. I'll update it. Yeah. Share, share with your friends. We're on anywhere you find podcasts. Apple, the Spotify, Google. You can listen to us whenever you want. Okay. 504s. 504. Do you, Melissa, mm-hmm. know where they come from? What law are they governed by? I do. So the, night, the Rehabilitation Act of 1973... <laughs> Um, covers uh, 504 plans, educational 504 plans um, in in the great country of the United States. Yes, and that is going to play more and more as we talk into how it is across the United States, mm-hmm. but then it becomes more what school district you're yeah. in on how they're... So yes, while yeah. the law does broadly cover the, United, the great United the States great. of America... <laughs> yep. And surprise, it is Section 504 mm-hmm. of uh, that act. Yep. And it is something that has not been updated. Is that what I'm trying to say? Uh, you are correct. Since its inception. Yeah, there was, um, in terms of educational updates, there was, a, I believe it was 2001 that OSEP kind of came in and did a couple little tweaks, but it hasn't been looked at it since then. And I don't quote me on 2001. It's it's around the early 2000s that it just got peaked at. Um, and But however, last year it went out for public comment, public review. Sorry, you're probably going to talk about that, but... Um, so, uh, this is, this is now when we are very much starting to look into how some of, how this is impacting our students and how we can make some changes to impact for the better. Yeah. Cause a lot of these regulations are from, you know, 1980 mm-hmm. and potentially earlier. So <laughs> yes, times have changed. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Just like IDEA was updated. Mm-hmm. Now the hope is that, you know, section 504, but this, Act, the Rehabilitation Act, and 504 apply more broadly than just the school system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. uh, I mean, in the school system, it's access to education um, so that we are equaling that the playing field, you know, uh, typical peers. So if students are needing just accommodations to help with their ability to access their education, that's what that is um, in the school-based systems. Um, more broadly outside, uh, it, this is this is covering our access to how people access federal buildings, how they are accessing public institutions, public land, you know, all of that, that fun stuff. Non-discrimination. Correct. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to think of this in the school system. Yeah, not ADA. Sorry. I guess when I say access, um, there, there are those overreaching, you know, the... Yes, which is why I think this is a good time to, to, if you need to conceptualize this, if you think of one large circle, which is all of the students in the school district, or let's just say school, Mm -hmm. all the students in a school, and then another circle inside of that larger circle, which is students who potentially have a disability Mm -hmm. or have a disability, and then 
so ADA, mm -hmm. and then another circle in, you get Section 504, those students who are supported by accommodations and plans. Mm -hmm. And then that final circle inside of all of the other circles <laughs> is IDEA. Yeah, that's a really good way to look at it. Yeah, because not all students, maybe they, you know, maybe we have a student that um, has a physical disability and the Americans with Disabilities Act is going to come in and say, you know, this this is a public building and we have to have equal access. So we have to have ramps, we have to have elevators, that kind of access. But this student isn't necessarily needing any accommodations under the 504 Act where uh, because they are accessing their education fine. So um, and when I say accommodations, I mean like um Changes to how you learn. Changes to how you learn. Yeah. So a little bit of extra time to take tests or pref uh, preferred seating, maybe closer to um, the board or the back of the classroom, you know, whatever that looks like for the student. But yeah. Okay. So we've talked about how you might have a disability, but you don't necessarily need a 504 plan or need those supports. So let's briefly talk about eligibility mm -hmm. for a 504 plan. So we're looking at a student who has a physical or mental impairment, which substantially limits one or more major life activities. Mm -hmm. And that's breathing, eating, yeah. toileting. Yeah. All of those constitute major life activities. Yep. And then we have that student has a record of having an impairment or is regarded as having mm -hmm. that impairment. Mm -hmm. And I think that that distinction is important because you don't have to have a uh, diagnosis. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Because in some research, click, click, click on the computer mm -hmm. that I was doing, I actually found a case where an individual did not have a diagnosis. In this case, it was HIV. If this was in the 80s. An individual did not have a diagnosis, but everyone regarded them as oh. having that diagnosis and then discriminated against him based on that diagnosis. Oh, interesting. So the Office of Civil Rights came in, yep. even though that individual never even had that diagnosis in the first place. Wow. Yes. So I think it's that piece is really interesting if you're regarded hmm. or known as having that diagnosis. Yeah. And we see that a lot as, you know, um, I'm trying to, sometimes labels are not something that families want. Um, right. And not having a diagnosis in some cases can substantially limit services. This is not the case with a 504. If this is an individual that is, like you said, regarded as having a disability or an individual with a disability um, and, and people within the educational system can recognize that and help the student put some of those accommodations in place to help them access their education, a label is not needed. A diagnosis is not needed. So when we're talking about putting that plan into place where an I, IDEA has IEPs and IEPs have teams and those teams have four required members yep. and it gets very specific yep. and into the weeds and 504s are very much not that way. So not each school can have a 504 committee, which is also known as a group of knowledgeable people. Mm -hmm. And I like how you said they can because in Idaho... They don't have to. Actually, uh, you know, Idaho is a local control state, so districts can 
function how they deem appropriate as long as they're following those federal laws. And so as long as they are offering 504s to students who need them, they don't have to follow any of those procedures. It's best practice and most districts do. Yes. So best practice is to put it in writing, Mm -hmm. but it's not required. Right. Best practice is to have the parents involved in the meeting, but it's not required. Right. So... Yeah, it very much fall. While we talk earlier about how this is a federal law, it really does fall under some local control. Yeah, very much so. So so following that Mm -hmm. same vein, this isn't something that's going to require formal testing like an IEP Mm -hmm. eligibility will. No, no. So the district is required to draw upon information from a variety of sources, which could include achievement tests or teacher recommendations Mm -hmm. or parent input, input. Mm -hmm. but again, unlike an IEP, none of that is required. Yeah. None of that is, you know, statute. None of that is, uh, it's at the district's discretion. And then it even goes farther in the sense of reevaluations. (laughs) So IEPs are reevaluated or you have a review every year Mm -hmm. and then you have a triennial reevaluation. Well, districts are considered to be in in compliance of 504s if they complete reevaluations periodically. Periodically. And that Mm -hmm. is is literally the term that's written in Mm -hmm. there, or at least every three years. Annual review is not required, Mm -hmm. but again, considered best practice. Correct. Yes. I would say that the vast majority of districts in Idaho really follow those best practices. They involve the parents, they put it in writing, they have convene a team to really discuss. They incorporate some formal assessments. Now, all of that being said, there are often times where a a student just needs one or two accommodations that don't require that full blown evaluation formal process. Um, And everyone is pretty recognizable. It's pretty recognizable what accommodation this student needs and it can just quickly be put on, you know, so it is, I mean, just with IDEA, right. It's a case by case basis, student by student basis. Exactly. So we can talk about maybe some examples to help maybe conceptualize this a little bit different. So IEP encompasses everything that a 504 has. So Mm -hmm. IEPs have accommodations and adaptations. So changes to what you learn and changes to how you learn. And a 504 Uh is just going to have those accommodations or changes to what you're learning. So maybe we're talking about a student who is autistic, who is not found eligible for an IEP you know, academically, mm-hmm. functionally, developmentally, not not qualifying for this specially designed instruction. Mm-hmm. However, they do require accommodations to be successful in the day because they have, they've been... A documented disability. Exactly. Yeah. And there are things that they have recognized in the sense mm-hmm. that this is a student who has toileting issues. Mm-hmm. So yeah. accommodations might look like sitting closer to the door, being able to wear a watch that lets the student know that it's time to go to the bathroom, hand signals so they're not Mm -hmm. called out, maybe altering some classroom management, maybe a peer support. Yeah. 
um, you know, a tardy I've, in those situations, I've seen the child allowed to leave a little bit early or come in tardy to, you know, take care of some of those bathroom and hygiene issues. But yeah, there's all sorts of things that can be done. Um, and that, you know, for a student that almost qualifies for an IEP and we have those three prong, I won't go into the, you know, three prongs to an IEP, but a lot of students don't meet all three prongs, but still need the support. And that's where the 504 plans come in. And it can even look like a student who may be struggling academically. Yeah. I don't want to make it just sound like it's not, it can't even qualify for that. But if the student doesn't require specially designed instructions, let's say lower level math or Mm -hmm. lower lexile, lexile reading, it could be something in the sense that the student just requires a longer due date. Mm -hmm. They get extra time or maybe just when we are completing a math assignment, we're only doing even numbers and not odd numbers. So a lot of we, a lot of students that have some auditory, some processing delays, those are really, really common adaptation or really common accommodations. Um, I almost said adaptations, but that would be an IEP. Um, that extra time on test, the, the, even or odd, or, you know, um, we only have to do every other story problem to some of those really easy. I mean, it sounds totally easy and it sounds like you wouldn't even need it to be written on a plan, but that's just for the students, you know, just for their, so that we can track this hopefully so that we can ensure that everyone's on board. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And if it's written, especially when we're talking about students who are in those upper grades, Mm -hmm. it could be something as simple as, Hi, my name's Ryan. It's my first day. Nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. Here's my here's my here's my five hundred four. Because we're talking about different teachers versus yeah. if it's those lower elementary grades where we're just with that one teacher. Yep, it's easier to follow up and implement. Absolutely, and that you brought up a great point. That's how we start teaching our older students those self advocacy. You know, those how to advocate for themselves. I have a five hundred four plan. I also have seven teachers, so I it's my job so that I can keep receiving these accommodations that help me be successful in school. It's my job to be an advocate for myself and go to each teacher and individually kind of have that conversation. That's not appropriate for every student, but for a lot of students that are accessing a five hundred four plan, it's really, really appropriate. And it really helps them in that advocacy journey that they might have to take for their foreseeable future. Right. Because 504s do follow you to college if you want Uh them to. Mm -hmm. And that's a conversation with, you know, the disability services at the um, university that a student chooses to attend. Um, And those will look a little bit different than high school, but those 504s can, because if we're in a public institution, this is a federal law. So- And just personally, I had a friend when we were at BSU together and his 504 said that he gets to take tests in a different location. Yeah. So I've seen it. In action. Exactly. Yep. So let's talk a little bit about dispute resolution. So I know. I'll be quick. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) So let's say, you know, we're disagreeing. You and the 504 coordinator on the team are disagreeing. You know, you think little Timmy needs some extra accommodations and they're saying no. So we could, you know, we could call a team meeting and try to work it out there. We could reach out to a district coordinator. Mm -hmm. Um, Every district should have a grievance procedure. And what that looked like could vary Vary. district by district. 
Um, I did find something really interesting that I thought was worth sharing that if a district employs more than 50 people or 15, excuse me, one, five people, it needs to designate a 504 compliance coordinator and have a grievance procedure. So that is quite a few school districts in the great state of Idaho Mm -hmm. who should have all of this information. And then there's also a 504 coordinator for the state. Yes. Which may or may not have a vacant it, it, position at the moment. It is still a vacant position, yeah. But that doesn't mean that you can't get access to that. Absolutely, yeah. There's someone at the State Department that can help um, with some of those conversations. And most of the time in those districts, um, the 504 coordinator is is usually the a special education director or yes. liaison, you know, yeah, within that department. The Student Special Services Department. But... The end all being the Office of Civil Rights. Yeah, absolutely. That's our end all be all when we, you know, need to um, elevate a grievance. Um, We need a little bit more authority to, if we need even to file a complaint, we're going with the Office of Civil Rights, our regional division. Ours is based out of Seattle because, you know, we're in the Seattle region. Um, But yeah. We can escalate it a little bit if necessary. And you're always welcome to reach out to us. Even yeah. You, that is definitely within our wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. 504s are under that special education umbrella. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to just be a parent of a student supported by an IEP yep. to reach out to us. And we can help kind of walk through some of that. Yep. I have two mock situations that I wanted to read to oh, you. Okay. And get kind of your input. But before I do, I wanted to ask, is there anything about 504s that you think I didn't say that is worthy to be included? I'm putting her on the spot. Um, I don't think so. I I would add that um, the Office of Special Education, so we we affectionately refer to that as OSEP, um, I did say that they you know, they put this out for public comment. There is work being done towards a little bit more dispute resolution at the, at the state level. So I, and there are some tweaks that are happening within this law. So it's coming. Uh, I don't know when, um, obviously we keep a close eye on that kind of stuff, but I think you touched on everything else. Um, I think it will be morphing and changing a little bit in the future. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah, keep an eye, keep an eye on out for that. Okay. Okay. Here come, here come your uh, scenarios. Okay. Okay. So we have a suspected disability in evaluation. We have little Rosita, fourth grade student. Uh, Teacher notices that Rosita has trouble concentrating during lessons and that it takes her longer than most students to complete an assignment. While the teacher acknowledges that this is difficult for Rosita to stay, to stay seated and be on task, she doesn't think that Rosita needs any special education services because she gets B's and C's. She doesn't need it. She's a smart kid. She's like a smart cookie. What should the teacher do? Okay. So... Um I think some seating, some, I would start with some different seating options. So it sounds like, you know, maybe we need to, um, get a, 
some ball seating, some squishy seating, some different some fidgets, some fidgets. Uh huh. Um, maybe seating even needs to be moved closer to the teacher. Or uh, did you say that? No, no, no I haven't read the solution that. yet. I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, oh okay. No, I, I did. I didn't know that if you were saying. Um, and I think we could really start down the road. So the. <laughs> the the mom and me says request a special education evaluation and just rule out um, the need for an IEP. But if I know where this is going and this is probably a child that is not going to meet all three prongs and qualify. So, so that's where we're going to support this this student with a 504. Okay. And I want to. Okay. No, go ahead. Okay. I, I would start with some seating. I would start with some fidgets. I would start with some ways to really focus some attention for the student. Okay, I am bit. staring at you. Yeah. I am I'm just letting the listeners know that they might want to pause if they're, they don't have their answers locked in. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay, I'm ready? Saying, I'm going to read go. the solution. Yeah. Three, two, one. Okay, so in this situation, Rosita's teacher needs to inform the proper individuals in the school system that Rosita potentially needs to be evaluated. It's only through an evaluation process that a school district can properly determine if a student has a disability and needs 504 services. Note that grades alone, whether good or bad, do not indicate whether a student has or does not have a disability. Even if Rosita does not require special education, she could still receive 504 services if she meets the definition of a disability and is in need of related aids or services. For example, Rosita may be a student who has ADHD and because of that needs extra time to complete assignments and assistance from a classroom aide to stay on task. However, even if Rosita does not require special education or related services, as long as she's a student with a disability, she is protected from other forms of discrimination. Yeah. Disability discrimination is a big one that it, the OCR or the Office of Civil Rights umbrella kind of covers. Um, and we see that happening a lot in our schools, a lot. And I think that another reason that past Allison selected this specific situation is because I have helped parents in the past who have heard, oh, well, I'm sorry, little Timmy's a little too smart, doesn't need a 504. You've heard that? I have, in fact, heard that. <laughs> But the name the name was redacted. It wasn't Timmy, but okay. <laughs> I have heard that specific situation. And so that's why I thought it was really important and worth mentioning that grades alone don't absolutely again yep. don't determine whether mm -hmm. the student has whether we have a basis of knowledge that this is a student with a disability is what we're looking at. Yep. There are invisible dis disabilities that grades do not accommodate for. Or we could also be talking about a student who is working much, mm -hmm. much harder than yes. a, than a, than their typical yes. peers just to maintain that. And if they had accommodations, Absolutely. it would be it would be an equal playing field. Exactly, and that is what uh, Section Five Hundred Four aims to do: is really to equal the playing field and equal access to education. So whatever that may be, if if you know if Rosita needs some extra time for her assignments, that is equaling that is that is just kind of equalizing the playing field um, so that she is on par with her typical peers. Exactly. Yeah. Amen. That was a good choice. 
Okay, are we ready? I guess, yeah. I, I only picked two because okay. I didn't I didn't want to talk forever. I don't do this all day. Okay, so our second one is an accessibility issue. Okay. So we have Amanda, who's recently mm-hmm. enrolled, enrolled in a school that does not have an elevator. The school was built in the early 1960s, and due to limited resources, this district has never altered the building. Amanda is unable to walk upstairs and is dismayed when she discovers that the art studio is located on the second floor. She had planned to take an art class the following semester. What should the school do? And this one is extra fun. I hate these ones. I'll skip to the solution. Because they're gross. This is not a fun one to tell a family. They're gross, but also it's worth mentioning that the school still has to support (laughs) the student, right? Absolutely. And so we have to think outside of the box. How are we going to support that student without creating unreasonable burden to the school? school? Um, Because to install an elevator in a 1920-some school or whatever it is, you know, does create financial burden um, on a district. However, that's not Amanda's fault. Right, and they could be discriminating against her based off of her disability by not allowing her to take the same curriculum that her other peers can take. Mm -hmm. So Move the art studio. Okay, lock in your answers. (laughs) And I think you're going to be surprised to find that the date matters. The date So the fact that this is a building from 1960 is going to become important in three, two, My answer is locked in. Okay, Districts are not required to make existing facility or part of an existing facility accessible if the facility in question was constructed before June 4th, 1977. (laughs) However, districts must still provide students with disabilities access to the program or activity. Access to programs operated by a school in older facilities that are totally or partially inaccessible in some instances, may be provided through means other than structural change, such as, like Melissa said, relocation of that program. School districts are required to have procedures in place to ensure that parents, students, and other interested individuals can obtain information about the location and activities that are accessible to and usable by individuals with disabilities. So the school in this scenario is an existing facility before 1977, and therefore program access is required to ensure compliance with 504 and ADA. So the school, for example, could potentially move their art studio to a room on the first floor to make sure that Amanda has an equal opportunity Mm -hmm. to participate. Yep. So again, these are situations that... They happen, though. Exactly, and Mm -hmm. a lot of parents might not... Think of these as being, because maybe, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but when I hear 504s, I'm thinking, you know, predominantly students with anxiety or maybe ADHD or behaviors, but they don't qualify for an IEP. Yeah. But it is so much more than that. It's really broad. It, and, and I think that's what makes it so hard to interpret it as well, because it is such a broad act. It covers so many things. Um, but those calls, they happen and those access calls happen a lot. Um, I've, you know, I've known of a school district that installed a portable for that reason. Yeah. Because it was a lot cheaper than adding an elevator. So, um, that it happens. 
it happens a, a lot more than we probably think it happens. So much yeah. to consider. Any yes. any final takeaways from you? Um, no, hopefully we didn't completely confuse our listeners. And if we did, give us a call and hopefully we can try to unconfuse you, if that's a word. It, it is a word. And everything that I have said today, I can cite as a source. So if you want more information, you can reach on out to me. <laughs> And I will send you where I got it from. I'm sure. And it's a very vetted source. I guarantee our listeners. (laughs) That that is for sure. Thank you so much, everyone out there for listening in today. If you are in Idaho or planning on moving to Idaho and have any questions on systems or services, For children with disabilities, please reach out to us on our website at ipulidaho.org. That's I-P-U-L-Idaho.org. Be sure to come back next time because we will be doing a two-part or three-part series on Idaho Medicaid programs for children with disabilities and special health care needs. Sounds enthralling. Until then. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 